are now tuning in to Let's Be Honest with host Just Jonda. be honest. I'm your host, Just Jonda, and I am so happy to finally be back. I know we had a bit of a hiatus. I am so sorry. We did do a live post-presidential debate event, and I do have that, so I am going to upload it, even though it's a few weeks old. I do think that uh, it's it's rather funny in some ways because if you saw that debate, um, you had to laugh or you'd cry. So today's topic is called, well, it's episode 22. Can you believe it? Episode 22, Mad Donnie Beyond the Rose Garden. Do we need another hero? Well, I guess we're going to find out. So this episode is going to be all about the chronicles of President Trump over the past few weeks. And of course, we could not do this without at least touching on the vice presidential debate that took place last Wednesday. And then we will round it out at the end with just the beginning of the Senate Judiciary hearings on Serena Joy, I'm sorry, uh, Amy Coney Bennett, who is President Trump's Supreme Court nominee. So let's get started. First topic, President Trump and COVID. So this is a... um, Interesting, because I must admit that I am one of probably a good number of people who has been giving this whole situation a side eye from the moment he announced this via Twitter, of course, in the wee hours on October 2nd. Also, just in case anybody is at a loss for the significance of that date. It was a mere few days after the presidential debate with, um, after the presidential debate that he had with Joe Biden. So that also made all the ranting and raving and jumping in and it, it, it just, it's pretty interesting, not to mention the fact that there was probably a hell of a lot of spit that went flying around in the atmosphere on that stage. But anyway, it just seemed a, quite weird the way that this whole thing went down. Now, we're going to go back in time a little bit to the day when at least the esteemed Dr. Fauci thinks that 
this got started, or at least for some non-presidential staffers, it got started in what Dr. Fauci has coined and many other people are calling was potentially a super spreader event. On September 26th, Saturday, President Trump held a large event at the Rose Garden at the White House or in the Rose Garden at the White House for the announcement of his Supreme Court nominee, Amy Coney Barrett, the 48-year-old barrister and mother of seven conservative who will be on the court forever should this go through and it probably will that he was just chomping at the bit to nominate in pretty much the um entire republican party has been salivating over since the moment ruth bader ginsburg took her last breath so needless to say that within mere days of uh, Justice Ginsburg being buried, literally two, there was a ceremony held at the Rose Garden. And of course, we know ever defiant and appealing to his base there, it was largely maskless and the few masks that were worn certainly did not compare in any way to the number of masks that were not. Well, within maybe, uh, well, what seemed to be pretty much week, that was a Saturday, the following Friday, October 2nd, uh, President Trump tweeted that he and his wife, Melania, tested positive for COVID-19, and he was, um, according to doctors, exhibiting some symptoms, maybe a little shortness of breath, etc. And in days, in the days to follow, news story after news story about individuals close to him, um, his press secretary, Kellyanne Conway, whatever the hell she does, um, one of the generals, which of course then meant that the Joint Chiefs had to be quarantined because they had just met with him. Um, Chris Christie, who has been frequenting the White House because he is pretty much the lead of President Trump's debate squad, and I'm sure probably advising him of some other things as well. Um, we, I think I mentioned a while ago that Chris Christie, Chris Christie um, disappeared, but as with most bad checks, he, they always return, and he's back and then back with COVID. And he actually was in the hospital for a number of days. I think he just got out, someone told me, not because uh, he wasn't really doing well, which isn't surprising Take it when you look at Chris Christie. And so at any rate, I think it had gotten to the point that there was as many as 34 people that were in some way either connected with the event or staffers in and around the White House who who tested positive. And of course, those are just the people we know. There could be many others that simply have not been reported 
in connection with this. And if indeed a lot of this stemmed from the Rose Garden event, then it could certainly be a situation where some of them are just manifesting symptoms or simply have it and have no symptoms at all. So at any rate, uh, back to the timeline, President Trump goes into the hospital. Of course, they take him to Walter Reed in Bethesda. I believe that's where it is. They take him to Walter Reed on October 2nd. On October 3rd, we see that he decided to do a drive-by. They made sure that there was some adoring fans standing out there waving flags, etc. And um, it was disgusting because if he did indeed have COVID, this is a man who is in a hermetically sealed vehicle with secret service agents, whether they wear, they're wearing masks or not, riding around just so that you can absorb the adoration of a couple of people in a few blocks who, if they love you so much, shouldn't have wanted you outside of a hospital either. By the next day, October 4th, there's an announcement that he may get out of the hospital. What? Okay, let him out. A lot of people were like, oh, he looks so pale. He doesn't look good. I'm like, no, he doesn't. That's just him without all the orange makeup. Anywho. There's an announcement that he may come home. On 10-4, he does actually leave Walter Reed, comes back to the Oval Office, isn't even in there very long before taking off the mask, and ultimately announcing to the public that he feels better than he felt in 20 years. Okay. And, of course, his people are rallying. He also talks in subsequent days about... The fact that he is, you know, they're pushing forward with the uh, with the nominee process. The schedule for that is set out. It actually just started. The hearings just started yesterday, October twelfth. Um, so that's if you've been watching the news or just watching television at all during the day. Seems that most of the major major networks are carrying it. But if nothing else, you can certainly see it online and of course, on the 24-hour news networks who are carrying it. By Friday the 9th, there was a bit of controversy. Sometime between the 8th and the 9th, there was a bit of controversy about the next debate. There was supposed to be another debate coming up, um, I believe, within the next day or so. I think it was scheduled for maybe 10, 15 between he and Joe Biden because there's um, there was three scheduled. I, honestly, I don't think that there needs to be any more scheduled. I think between the one they did and the follow-up that Saturday Night Live did, that was more than enough. But okay, just me. So I think this was a cute way for him to simply get out of it because no doctor that I could think of, or maybe there are some, but I would have to ask, what doctors think that it's okay for a 74-year-old man who is allegedly dealing with a respiratory disorder that is a part of 
a global pandemic who is very obviously out of shape, doesn't eat well, doesn't sleep well, then go on stage for 90 minutes, not to mention the preparation for a debate under hot lights where he's going to be excitable and talking a lot, which of course takes energy. I, I can't imagine that that would be the best recommendation in the world, but I guess, you know, when you can buy whatever you need. And of course, as we know, allegedly he has been able to avail himself of the best um, drugs in the world that regular people certainly can't get, which makes the comment, um, don't be afraid of COVID, is totally curable, all of that, all the more insulting because the rest of us can't get all hopped up on steroids and experimental drugs, experimental drugs. And quite frankly, if this nomination goes through and next month, he and others get what they want and strike down the last vestiges of the Affordable Care Act, I wish people would stop calling it Obamacare, so disrespectful, of the Affordable Care Act, there would be many more people who would not be able to afford these amazing services that he received. And let's call a spade a spade. With the way that things were last spring and with COVID cases starting to spike again, the reality of it is, is that going into wintertime and a, a potential spike, it definitely looks like we're headed into that dreaded second phase we're going to be right back to where we were, where hospitals are forced to tell people, family members, whomever, that if you're above a certain age, it's pretty much between you and God. They don't, they simply don't have the resources to use as it relates to people of a certain population with less of a chance for survival. I, I have, I've had relatives be told that. So this isn't just stories I've heard from other people, which I did. Then, as life has it, especially in a pandemic where it doesn't take much for it to hit close to home, well, it did. So most people don't have that, President Trump, so that they could say, eh, no big deal. But anyway, back to what I was talking about with the debate, and, and then we can get into some basic theories here. Ultimately, uh, the Commission on Debates recommended, and hello, obviously so, that this debate be virtual. Joe Biden's people were like, fine. I mean, there's no point in pretending that he's not freaking 77 years old. And it's supposed to be, I believe it's supposed to be a town hall format anyway, if recollection serves, which means, you know, you would probably be sitting down in the round with a bunch of people in the room that you could potentially give COVID to. And it just made more sense for it to be, you know, for it to be virtual. And if it's town hall, what difference does it make? Okay, you have 
the people on the little screens and everybody's safe. I've been to quite a few. President Trump says, you know, I'm going to paraphrase here, but basically he was like, hell no, it's a waste of my time. And it sounds like he more or less probably more implied that Joe Biden was pretty much punk and was running from debating him and just using all of this COVID stuff as an excuse. To which the Biden camp, and rightfully so, was like, okay, well, you know, you do you, bruh. So the debate is off, but of course, from the Trump camp, it's, well, we were willing to do it, but they want to pretend that we need to be separated for safety. Well, excuse me, worried about safety. So anyway, at that, at, at any rate, the debate's called off. That's fine. Again, after the first one, no need for any more. Like, what are we going to get? Sure, there may be other questions. And sure, if it's a town hall format, those other questions are probably going to be coming from regular people and hopefully be halfway interesting. Although if they have, I, I, I can't even say it without feeling a little vile in my throat, um, those undecideds, people who at this point allegedly don't know what they think about all this, people who quite frankly, if that's where you are in life, I'm kind of afraid of you. Those questions, no matter who they're from, even if it's from those people, are probably better than any that the debate moderators were, were giving. And, you know, don't even get me started about the debate moderators. I'll talk about that with the VP debate. So at any rate, debate's off. Doesn't matter. Mail in your questions. Who cares? And that's where we are now. He has talked, I read an article yesterday where he talked about uh, preparing to go back and do rallies and be on the campaign trail. Okay. I mean, fine. Who cares? If if he goes, fine. If people come, fine. If they don't, again, fine. He has a base. He has certain people who his brand of rhetoric and vitriol appeals to. And God bless them. That's their thing. You know, I can't give it the, if you like it, I love it. Uh, angle on this one, but you're going to do it anyway. And if people dropping dead doesn't seem to bother you or ending up infected with a disease that no one truly knows how it's going to affect you long term, but if you're old or out of shape, we could probably guess, then knock yourself out. As far as my thoughts on this, as I said in the beginning, I am not ashamed to say that I count myself among the many people who did not believe that he was ill in the first place, especially now that he's saying he's not contagious. What is that about? Um, I firmly believe, and there's no way of proving it, I still maintain and this is my own personal theory, that whether he has it now or not, I mean, if they say you do what he does, whatever. But 
I firmly believe he's, he already had it last spring, maybe around late May, early June, when he stopped doing press conferences for a while. Um, and, and, and also remember, there were several people, not one, not two, seemed like anybody and everybody who had some measure of contact with him, with dignitaries, people from, you know, foreign nationals, people who were close, who at some point in preceding days were in close proximity to this man, a 74-year-old, noticeably and unabashedly out-of-shape man who does not hide the fact that they eat terribly. It's clear by looking at him that he doesn't exercise. Um... And it's, it's, you know, just by the looks at him, it's lived a generally gluttonous lifestyle. It is very hard to believe that he didn't have it already. But okay, that's my own personal theory. Now, putting, it, putting that on the shelf to now. Given the way that this has moved, I know that people talked about there being some heavy breathing, maybe a little wheezing when he was moving around a bit, moving um, when he was walking or when he did one of the press conferences and that seemed to be validation for folks. If he has it, fine. But if that's the case, he has been and continues to be quite reckless about it. If he doesn't and lied about it, I think that that is not beneath him. And for those who say, well, what would he have to gain from that? What do you mean? What would he have to gain from that? It is a month away from an election that people and numbers keep telling him that he's going to lose despite the bravado of his team. And don't get me wrong, he was supposed to lose the last one, so anything is possible. So don't uh, just walk away from this uh, putting me in the category of people who um, are putting a check mark automatically in the Biden-Harris column saying that they're going to win. They'll get my vote, but that doesn't mean that they're going to win. Actually, I voted yesterday. Um, last day to register in Virginia, today, October 13th, uh, early voting is still open. Super easy. I did drive through at the DMV. It was the bomb. I didn't even have to get out the car. It was excellent. At any rate, um, what does he have to gain? Well, exactly what he's doing. I am your hero. I am your Messiah. I am the person who for weeks, in the weeks leading up to this, because you got to remember where we were leading up to this, even leading up to the debate. You had the uh, the Bob Woodward book come out, and not just the book, but uh you had the re the actual recordings come out. And then within a week or so, you also had the situation with Melania come out. It, hers wasn't quite as big of a deal, but still, you had that come out with the recordings, which sort of undercut this whole image that they were trying to craft for her um, you know, it, alternatively, the very nice, long-suffering uh, wife who's 
tried to do the right thing but just married to the wrong man or on the opposite end she is the picture of grace and perfection everything that everybody should be she dresses this she does that so either way the narrative of this um first lady that was being crafted for her certainly after her um speaking at the republican national convention because obviously we don't see her very much that was crapped on by this alleged former confidant who wrote a book um i'm not going to advertise it because despite the salaciousness of it that we all like to gobble up i still think that what she did was shady the Bob Woodward thing, totally different. President Trump knew that he was on tape, which, of course, speaks to um, why even bother? We know what we're dealing with him, dealing with with him. But the bottom line is he knew he was on tape because he knew that he was the subject of a book that was being written. So everything that he said and the fact that it was recorded was fully known by him. But, you know. Uh, this is what this guy does. He runs his mouth. I mean, this is the same person who said on a hot mic that, you know, women that are seem a little resistant to his advances, screw it, grab him by the pussy. So we know what's up with him. But in the case of Melania, however you may feel about her and however juicy, sort of, because you really half understood, you barely understood most of what she was saying. And I'm not saying that, saying that to be shady. It's just the simple truth, her accent is very thick. Um, she didn't know that she was being recorded. This person was allegedly a confidant and, of course, baited her into the conversations that, because she had probably had similar conversations like that before with Melania, she had a fairly keen idea as to what Melania was going to say. So that, uh, so, so that being said, I think that it is unfortunate that, um, she found that, that she found herself in this situation with this woman. And because of that, there was some nasty tapes that came out. Now, I must say that totally explains that garish and awful Christmas decor with all the red trees because according to her she didn't feel like doing that crap anyway so you know if she decided to make the hallways look like the devil's Christmas fantasy then now it all kind of makes sense but anyway because you know we just uh, you know me I slipped down a rabbit hole all of that being said it was a bumpy couple of weeks now Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying and him being able to make that nomination certainly was a get for the Republican Party as a whole and their political agenda and his political agenda of undoing anything um, related to President Obama as um, Joe Biden mentioned in their debate he just has this absolute fixation on the man the the man being uh president barack obama so i get it 
as it relates to that. But that didn't change or doesn't change um, the tone of or in, of what was going on with him and certainly the tide of public opinion. I mean, the Melania thing was really neither here nor there, just salacious, but certainly not so good as it relates to uh, the Bob Woodward thing. Um, probably in no small part as to why, uh, uh, you know, in addition to being coached by Chris Christie, he came out so over the top aggressive to the point of being even more rude and boorish and out of control than he normally is. So um, what did he have to gain by this? Again, I am your hero. Yes, I kept some information from you all for those who don't understand that I was doing it for the good of the country, that I was being your parent, keeping you all from being out of control children running into the streets uh, because a pandemic was upon us. So I spared you from that. And now the benevolent parent, I'm showing you that I was right in sparing you from that because it's not that big of a deal. Look at me. I'm 74 years old. I got it and pish posh. It's done and on to the next. Let's wreck some shit and win the election. You see, so for those who are saying, what does he have to gain? Well, what the freak does he, does he have to lose? If he had it, okay. But if he didn't, he doesn't necessarily have terrible reasons for saying that he did. Now, again, supporting the fact that he does or did or whatever the hell um, is the fact that the other individuals around him um, are uh, report the reports that have come out that they have gotten it. And, um, you know, I'm not going to follow a conspiracy that far down the rabbit hole. If, if stuff is, is at that point, then God help us all. So, uh, so yes, everybody ar around him having it does support that right down to his son's deranged girlfriend. So that is where we are with President Trump and COVID. Um, he's here. Yay! I don't have my little sound effects thing on me right now, so we'll just go with a simple yay! <laughs> and stay tuned because next... I am going to touch on, we're not going to dwell on it too long, but I am going to touch on the vice presidential debate, the one and only vice presidential debate throughout all of this between Senator Kamala Harris and current vice president, Mike Pence. Stay tuned.
Redford Investments and Education is the fight for school choice for all of our Thank you very so much, Senator Harris. I will not sit here and be lectured by the Vice President on what it means to enforce the laws of our country. I am the only one on this stage who was personally prosecuted. Everything from child sexual assault to homicide. I'm the only one on this stage who has prosecuted the big banks for taking advantage of America's homeowners. I'm the only one on this stage who prosecuted for profit colleges for taking advantage of our veterans. And the reality of this is that we are talking about an election in 27 days where last week the President of the United States took a debate stage in front of 70 million Americans and refused to condemn white supremacists. That was just a sample of the vice presidential debate that took place on last Wednesday. And the reason why I played that clip, well, first of all, I just love just that one line. I will not stand on this stage and be lectured. I, I'm going to definitely use that in any context I can. But beyond that, what stood out, not only in that clip, but several others, and also the fly on his head uh, didn't help either. But what stood out is this willingness of this man, Mike Pence, who, whether, and, and I've said this many times, whether I agree with his politics or not, and I don't, I, at the very least, had some respect for as a man of his convictions. You and I don't ever have to agree on anything. Where I, where my respect for you rises and falls is whether or not you maintain a level of integrity as it relates to whatever it is that you do believe. Now, obviously there's exceptions to every rule. If your belief is that I should be dead or, you know, um, if, if your belief is, you know, as it is something as it relates to racism and sexism that is just 
abhorrent and, and just generally makes you a horrible human being to everyone, then, you know, the fact that you own it isn't going to get you any points. But hell, at least you own it. I mean, right? Isn't that what a lot of people say that they like about Donald Trump? Because they sure as hell can't defend a lot of the things that he says. So what is the first people, what is one of the first things that people will say when trying to defend him? Because they can't really find a defense for some of the things he says is, well, at least he stands in what he says. He says what he means. He means what he says or whatever, which, of course, given the fact that I am from the Northeast and for most of my life knew Donald Trump as a Democrat, not a good one, but still a Democrat, um, and, and none that we want to claim. That's, you know, pretty much where he um, aligned his own politics. But it, that is the excuse that people give. That is what everybody says. He says it. He's he's a man of his, you know, blah, blah, blah. And again, we can debate all day about whether or not that is true. I would say that it isn't. But the point is, that is the grace that is afforded to him by his supporters. And that is the grace that I afforded Mike Pence. In fact, I said to other people. I even talked about this on um, the cast that I'm going to upload for you all to listen to the live cast that we did after the presidential debate. I had said even in that uh, cast, if it didn't get caught on the editing room floor, that I did not expect the vice pres presidential debate, debate to be as contentious or, you know, just go down an ugly road, that there would be no need for uh, Senator Harris to have to come in with the big guns blazing like she often has to pull out uh, in the Senate because Mike Pence, Vice President Mike Pence, is not his boss. He is someone who again, whether you believe him or not, is generally a man of his principles. Don't have to like them, but, you know, he just kind of states it, and he does, you know, remain relatively calm, although he was quite rude in terms of running all over the moderator. I'm not even going to bother beating up on her uh, the way that everyone else has. I think, um, her skills or lack thereof in this instance speak for themselves. And he was just rude and took advantage of the fact that she was not going to disrespect him in his position as vice president of the United States. And he used it to run roughshod over her. Whereas on the other hand, Senator Harris knew that if she tried it or stepped out of line in any way, that she would get painted with the brush that folks were chomping at the bit to paint her with of being uh, the angry, out of control Black woman. So she uh, definitely had kind of a couple of lines that she was towing just being a woman, being a black woman, 
there being a woman moderator and, you know, certainly not wanting to give any of the sea of sexist bastards waiting a chance to say that the debate degenerated into a quote cat fight unquote or as often said about some talk shows with women that they were quote cackling hens unquote so good on her to do that but it also lost her some time in that Pence was running roughshod over the moderator to make his points and um, she in trying to toe the line would stop when uh, when she was told towards the end I you know she's like screw it I'm just gonna say what I have to say and I and I get that um but anyway going back to my point about Mike Pence and integrity I was quite disappointed in him um, in that regard because, again, this is not expecting him to, to go against his party overall. And he is unabashedly conservative. I mean, that's just who he is, and that's fine. Um, it is the fact that he just acted like certain things didn't happen. You heard him flat out say, no, that's not true. As it relates to how President Trump handled the question about him disavowing white supremacists. We watched it. And not only did we watch it in real time, but we watched it repeatedly over and over as you know network after network and website after website replayed it and it wasn't cut because we saw it in real time this wasn't some magic editing that the fake news people put together he said what he said and as he would say it is what it is he did not avow, disavow white supremacy, and he told those individuals to stand back and stand by. Stand by for what? Not even going to go down that road because it, it just, it, it literally gives me a headache and, and maybe even a little heartburn. So uh, the debate, uh, it wasn't it, terribly exciting. We didn't expect it to be. Um, there was a lot of dodging questions. I do believe that, uh, Vice President Pence dodged way more questions if he answered any at all. I mean, if the question was, um, you know, is it true that the sky is blue? Uh, his answer would be, well, Sarah, um, I was working outside not long ago. And, it, you know, I mean, he may not even have referred to being outside. I mean, it, he literally, at, at any moment, he could have started singing the Fresh Prince, Prince of Bel-Air theme song. That is how far in one direction versus another he would be when questions were asked. Uh, 
Kamala Harris, I thought for the most part, did stay on point. I think that the areas where her answers were not 100% on point, number one, the moderator called her on it, and so she addressed it. And two, um, as with both of them, there were, <clears throat> I think that everybody comes into a debate like this, especially since they only had one, with points that they wanted to get across about themselves or their candidates. And so as time was winding down, I think that there were points where she was like, okay, there's certain information I just need to get out there. And so she used openings to do that. In my opinion, the only area where she just flat out did not answer the question, I mean, because other ones, even if she kind of worked around it, she gave you something. But the only one where she just flat out would not give um, Mike Pence what he wanted, <coughs> excuse me, was when he asked her about stacking the court. I don't think either side would truly answer that question. You'd be insane to answer that question weeks before an election, especially when there's just so much kind of floating back and forth as it relates to the court. And when you're hoping against hope that somehow you can keep the person who is on deck from being confirmed. Because if you can keep the person who's on deck for, from being confirmed and get this pushed off to the next term, then hopefully you just get who you want and, and you get um, hopefully not to have the numbers totally skewed in one direction, right? So the last thing you want to do is say you're going to stack the court because that gives the individuals who are currently considering um, Amy Comey Barrett more incentive to dig their heels in and not even consider the possibility of not confirming her because as far as they're concerned, why should we risk not getting somebody on the court so that we get another number in our favor if there's the possibility that they're going to try and put forward some legislation to expand the court and then stack it with more people who lean the other way. So you need to get your people in there while you can. I get that. So no way was she going to answer that question. No way should she have answered that question as far as I'm concerned, since the question wasn't asked by the moderator, she didn't have to. I'm not going to answer that question just because you asked me. And matter moderator, I'm not going to answer that question just because you asked me, just because he asked me and I wouldn't answer him. I answered your question. I'm not here to answer what, uh, like what Vice President Pence tells me to answer. So I, I didn't have an issue with that. It served no one, certainly as it relates to um, what she was prepared for and the possibility that it can make things messy even now or later to not answer it. I mean, that was just smart, uh, smart technique. So again, not really much there. 
it was um it was interesting and i do believe that as it related to mrs harris um senator harris i do believe that it was an opportunity to introduce her to some people who really have not taken the time to get to know her in an entirely new way and so good on her with that for vice president pence it was just an opportunity for him to see the light of day because when the hell do we ever see him i mean god bless him if he wasn't the vice president and suddenly somebody else came walking out and saying okay well i'm your new vice president sorry we forgot to tell you but i've been sitting in this position for the past 10 12 weeks 10 12 months whatever would we really know the damn difference nope so there's your vice presidential debate they're not going to have another one i think that pence towed the party line i think that harris did a good job of really shoring up what her candidate was going to do she made sure to constantly say joe believes we believes we believe this is what we're going to do so i thought that showing the connection between she and joe biden and being confident in speaking not only about policies being his but those but policies being those that they connected on um i thought that that was very effective i do think that they have got to get better about explaining where if there really is a difference between their green policy and the green new deal because if you're saying that your policy is not the green new deal and you can't really explain when pressed to the wall on it that it's pretty much the same then that's going to um that's that's going to be a problem for you every time now from a debate standpoint she's never going to be asked that question again and at the rate things are going I can't imagine a scenario where we end up seeing um, Trump and Biden in the same place at the same time again. So unless they get it together as it relates to the third debate, because I do believe even like another one was scheduled for like the 22nd or something like that, unless they get it together and by get it together i would say president trump agreed to just do the damn um what do you want to call it virtual debate then i wouldn't be surprised if what we have seen at least from the presidents because the vice presidents were only scheduled for one to begin with is all we're gonna see and each of them will just do their own rallies or town halls or what have you and you know, pay for it. That's what those big champagne, I'm, I'm sorry, those big campaign war chests are for, right? I guess we will stay tuned for, uh, for that. But either way, the election is coming, whether we like it or not. And I would pose to you as we go into our final segment, because I know I mentioned uh, Judge Barrett, but I'm just going to give 
that its own sectionist once these hearings have concluded. I pose to you a, a, a question that I was talking with a friend of mine about this last night. And being a student of politics and, of course, as you know, pop culture as well, there's been a lot going on there. We've got to do some dish this week. Um, and watching these debates for as long as I can remember, I mean, literally just to the edge of where my memories go, I have never seen a time, and maybe it was asked before, but it seems to me that there is a real fear that is being drummed up about this whole notion of a peaceful transfer of power. Let's get into that after the break. Stay tuned. Just Jonda with Let's Be Honest. If there's one thing that the United States has been known for, and, and let's face it, we're known for quite a bit of things, both good and bad, throughout history, at least, okay, let's say, at least since the formation of the country that, of course, was formed uh, over the blood of men and you know revolution etc i mean we know all that but once this imperfect union was put into place even throughout the 1800s and um you know political turmoil um the civil war all the way up through suffrage, the suffrage movement, the civil rights movement, the various wars that we have been involved in uh, abroad and some at home, although it's not called wars, but it all depends on where you live and what you've been through. Even throughout all of those things, one of the things that I, I know even from being a student in my history classes that we have always taken pride in as a country, again, politically, I'm saying, is that unlike other countries, our, our democratic system not only functions as it is supposed to in terms of us having free and open elections, again, suffrage and civil rights movements notwithstanding, but I'm talking about free and open elections as it relates to the individuals who are legally eligible to vote at any given time in history, being able to do so, and the transfer of power at the top levels. We know that crap goes down in our, you know, states and small towns. But the transfer of power 
in our in the very top of our halls of government presidents going over to the next president i'm talking about the transfer of power that the world sees not your folks fighting it out at the okay corral in your little local hometowns the transfer of power is a peaceful one now have we ended up in the courts yes many of us are certainly well old enough to not only remember but have voted in an election in recent history where the supreme court became involved and truly determined the outcome of the election gore bush i mean we know that not only during my lifetime but an election that i was old enough to vote in at the time so we have certainly seen election contests and because of the way that our system is set up there are fail safes put into the system to allow for that if there's a certain if uh, and every state has their rules and of course at the federal government we the federal level there are rules some of them are as simple as if the individuals are within a certain number of votes apart because the margin is so small it could either trigger an automatic recount or someone has to ask for it it could even potentially trigger another election someone could concede and not bother doing that we we, we know all of that but most of these things are built in to the system to maintain the peaceful transfer of power. If there is a contest, there is a list of procedures that you follow in order to enact that contest. You know that you don't just go down to the Board of Elections and start wrecking the joint. You go to court. You get an election lawyer. There are literally lawyers who deal with this area of law no different than I deal with criminal and family. So we know these things. And all of these things, while they can be complicated and messy and perhaps yield results that, you know, aren't exactly uh, the t results that people may like, especially if you're on the losing side of it, um, or that no one will like if, you know, the courts or who or whatever officials say, nope, you all need to do it again because you're all screwed. They're all still at their core put in place so that the peaceful, so that the transition of power will not only be orderly and have something about it that can be explained as to why things were done uh you know this way versus that way but even more importantly so that it's peaceful so all right so now you got a spiel on that just in case you just never thought about it um which many people don't or you hear that phrase all the time and don't know what it means well 
just in case you really don't, it means exactly what it says. It's not one of those um, political enigmas. It is, you know, are you going to make this easy or are you going to make this hard? Are you just going to pack your shit and leave or are we going to have to come in and get you? It, it really is just that. Nothing, nothing fancy or fake. So I say all this to say in all my years, you know, before I, even before I could vote, because I've always been a political animal, even before I could vote all the way up to the present, I do not recall a time when there was this much of a concern where it is asked of individuals constantly. And even more concerning is the fact that at least as it relates to the president of the United States, that he won't simply answer the question affirmatively, yes. That the answer is shrouded in a, well, I mean, yeah, but look at everything that's going, election fraud, mailmen selling ballots, the, you know, troughs of this or that thrown into ponds and, you know, just all of these things that apparently we have to find out about. Never mind the fact that no one was in favor of hundreds of mailboxes being collected and put somewhere. No one who cares about the rights to Amer of, of Americans voting would have been in favor of, you know, a county in Texas deciding that there would be only one place to drop off ballots. Nobody who cares about a free and open election would cause there to be any barrier to voting with gerrymandering and you know all kinds of nonsense on the eve of elections all of these things tending to come from one side if there is a legitimate question about the election, as I said in the first six minutes of this segment, there are mechanisms in place to deal with that. But to indicate to people that there is even the possibility that there would not be, and understand what I'm saying, a peaceful, focus on the word peaceful, transition of power is concerning. Now, if you want to answer to say there will be a peaceful transition of power as long, you know, and I, I hate to even say as long as, I just don't even, there will be a peaceful transition of power. All things being done the way they are supposed to be done, I support a peaceful transition of power. I am, as president of the United States, is doing everything I can for a free and fair and open election. And as long as there is a free and fair and open election, why would a peaceful transfer of power even be a question? Of course, there's going to be a peaceful transfer of power. This is the United States of America. A peaceful transfer of power is what we do. 
this is not a this is not a nation that deals in coups or random revolutions other than in our forming but you know we managed to justify that um you know we're not some eastern block country we are not some situation in you know no offense but it is what it is in south america where you know you have to worry about if the person is even going to make it to the presidential palace without a bullet to the head we're not any of these places we are not uh some of the individuals that we have gone to bat for some of the nations in africa some of the places that you know iraq iran all these places we're not them now we may do some shady shit on the back end and warmongering and all drugs and all of that but when it comes to the highest levels of government we have an established record that if we can't say that we do this better than you in any other arena then this one is it we have our elections we do our pomp and circumstance and the third monday in january whether you like who the dude is or not, you get your big speech, your parade, somebody singing yada, 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 fancy balls, and boom. President of the United States. The fact that instead of giving that answer, when people are wound so freaking tight that to say that they're ready to pop like stretched out frayed rubber bands is an understatement when you have officers who may have family members and i've spoken to at least one or two who will call them from other places and say man should we be worried gosh i mean is it really going down and of course you know black people scared as hell i mean we got enough problems you know, worried about a civil war. And then you've got newspapers who are willing to print these uh, white supremacists and these so-called, you know, you know those people that he told to stand back and stand by. I'm not going to give the name of their group life, not on my podcast. Um, instead of saying it's it's of course your your question is stupid you should be insulted that someone would even question whether or not there would be a peaceful transfer of power because if there is not a peaceful transfer of power what is it that disturbs the peace and that is the question that you have on the hearts and minds of people that is the question that then causes concern that you are having that people will be waiting for the smallest thing to pop off a loud sound a car backfiring that will just make people lose their minds on election night because 
if there is not a peaceful transition of power, what are we talking about? Does that mean you're going to barricade yourself in the White House? Does that mean soldiers walking down the streets? Or does that just mean citizens having to take up arms because individuals who have been incited by the things that you have been implying about the fact that this election is tainted from the jump, to get these people it already to have it already set in their minds that if you lose the only way and the only reason that happened is because it was stolen therefore we cannot allow those who stole it to take what is ours and if they try, then all bets are off in how we stop them. Because that is what is being indicated merely by the word peaceful being in that mix. When you have that phrase, that word peaceful becomes so powerful that nothing else matters. Transition of power, okay, fine. You know, you're talking about the one person moving out, the other person moving in. But that word peaceful is so powerful. And in that context is anything but peaceful. In that context is probably, for many, one of the scariest things they have ever heard going in to what is supposed to be one of the great hallmarks of our democracy, which is our ability, all citizens of a certain age, in this case, adults 18 and over, to be able to cast their ballot for their leadership. It's not just about that being tainted. It is about that being put into a category that is at best disturbing, at worst downright dangerous, and not just for one group of people, but dangerous for everyone within earshot, those who would raise up arms and those who may be on the receiving end. Not to mention the fact that in most things in life, there is no more dangerous a person than someone who is afraid. I'm just Jonda. I hope that I've at least left you with something to think about. I hate that it ended on that note, but sometimes the conversation goes where it goes, and that's what happens when you're being honest. Thank you once again for taking this time with me. Thank you for coming back after the unexpected hiatus, and um, I promise I won't leave you again without notice. <laughs>
and continue to listen. We are on so many platforms and so proud of that. If you are on, uh, if you have iTunes, please go there and leave comments in five stars. And of course, we're here on Podbean. We're on Amazon, Google, um, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Breaker, and just pretty much anywhere your pod, you can listen to your, uh, listen to podcasts. Don't forget to follow me. Follow me on Instagram and um, Instagram and Twitter. That information is in the information box for this episode. And join in on the fun where we talk about a lot more light topics, especially the pop culture stuff, the housewives, all of that over on um, the Fashion and Drama Diaries, our group on Facebook. You'll have a lot of fun there, meeting a lot of new people, so it's great. It's also a great place to interact with me personally and let me know some of the things you want to talk about. And, of course, you can interact with me or DM me on um, on any of those other platforms as well to let me know what you're talking about, suggest topics, um, or anybody you think I might need to talk to especially as this election winds down. So stay tuned. We're still going to get into some of our lighter topics. But as I told you, while we're in this heavy piece of politics, we're going to deal with that as well. And as always, please remember that if you're thinking about it and want to talk about it, chances are I'm thinking about it and want to talk about it with you. So let's be honest together. Have a good one.